Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. This is my weekly opportunity to bend your ear, tell you about the issues that are important, the issues that are breaking, or sometimes just the issues that are funny. And of course, lend my opinion and interpretation to all those news issues and items that are coming up. So uh, thank you all for tuning in to join me for all of this this week. For those watching it live, make sure you use that comment scroll, guys. Get in there, share your feedback, send questions my way, my guests' way. As I always kind of like to remind you and warn you, uh, I, I won't necessarily read them all out, but I do read them all. I see them there while I'm doing the show, and I, I get some great feedback on there. So by all means, use it and uh, stay civil with each other, though. I've seen some great discussions in the comment thread, and I've also seen some some pretty harsh ones. You know, the internet and threads and anonymous discussions are the most special of things. That uh, My wife, Jane, she's, she's been... Uh, suffering from an illness for quite some time and e either way it's a, a very serious uh, thing she's doing okay but there's an internet you know group on facebook where they've been discussing uh, support for each other people who are suffering from that same condition and uh, you know lending uh, help with each other and apparently that group blew up with a whole bunch of infighting even health groups where you're lending each other support people still manage to get at each other's throats it's, it's pretty sad actually social media is such a great tool such a great means of communication but at the same time, we, we manage to sometimes turn it really negative. So let's, uh, again, we can rant, we can complain, we can do a lot of things. We just don't have to cross those barriers and, and uh, rip at each other to the point of uh, splitting apart and getting unforgivable. Though, of course, I am talking about splitting the country up quite often, but that's a separate issue altogether. I'm going to start and get into a little why I get upset with this country. And uh, it is that this eight years now, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Yes, he's, he's gone to India again. He went to another summit. So after days of awkward moments, missed events, lost opportunities, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's trip to India for the G20 summit mercifully came to an end. Oh, except it didn't. To add insult to injury, the political gods decided to have Trudeau's plane breaking down to leave him stranded in India for two more days. If years of Trudeau's inept diplomacy weren't enough to convince the world of Canada's irrelevance on the world stage, the nation's inability to get its own prime minister back to Canada drove the point home. No, Trudeau isn't personally responsible for the upkeep of the airplanes. <laughs> it would have crashed years ago if that was the case. But the confusion caused when the plane broke down showed how Canada just isn't a nation to be taken seriously anymore. I mean, how many developed nations would find themselves utterly crippled for days? trying to find alternative transportation for their leader in the case of a malfunction on a plane. Now, Justin Trudeau, he's long had a cold relationship with India's Prime Minister Modi. He was snubbed by Modi during his catastrophic 2018 trip to India, where he made international headlines with his ridiculous dress-up games, and he got a frosty reception from Modi during this latest trip. And after much arm-bending, Trudeau did manage to get a 10-minute informal pull-aside meeting with Modi, he then used that time to lecture Modi on foreign interference. In other words, he wasted Modi's time on an issue that really isn't pressing to him right now. For a reason yet to be disclosed, Canada just paused negotiations with India on, on trade negotiations, giving India a figurative middle finger just days before a world summit they were hosting. It didn't exactly warm the waters before Trudeau's visit. Modi had many extended and private meetings with leaders from other countries during the summit. They discussed important trade and global affairs issues. India is a huge and growing economy. Nations are eager to develop relationships with that country. Aside from Trudeau, that is, who seems to go out of his way to antagonize them. Still, even if Trudeau didn't manage to make any progress with India on the trip, he had some important interactions with the leaders of the other 20 nations at the summit, right? Well, no. 
Aside from some photo ops with some other leaders, including an awkward one where it appears President Biden is chewing Justin out, Trudeau doesn't appear to have had any formal meetings uh, with other leaders while he was there. The press, even the Canadian press, were curious, and they're pretty blunt when they asked Trudeau, well, what did you accomplish during this summit? Trudeau stammered and offered his usual word salad and said, gender inclusion. Yeah, that's what he said. I mean, while the gender pronoun issue is burning red hot among activists and left-leaning Canadian press outlets, it doesn't even register on the list of items to be considered by serious world leaders. World leaders don't take Justin Trudeau seriously, and by extension, they don't take Canada seriously. Canada used to pride itself as a nation that punches above its weight on the international stage. Past prime ministers performed diplomatic wonders at summits. Our military was respected as a peacekeeper, and our resources, both human and natural, were high in demand. In eight years, Justin Trudeau has wiped out all of that international goodwill on every front. Trudeau can't leave the country without embarrassing himself, and of course us. From being chided by the Australian Prime Minister when he tried to turn discussions to his socks, to his awkward attempt at a three-way handshake in Washington, to his improv karaoke party during Queen Elizabeth's funeral, to his hot mic moment where he was caught tittering like a schoolboy and gossiping about then-President Trump, Trudeau has consistently proven he doesn't have the depth of intellect or character to be a player on the world stage. Who can forget Xi Jinping chewing out Trudeau on the floor of a conference just last spring? Or other conferences such as a recent G7 one where Trudeau was literally standing on the outside looking in as leaders conferred. Serious leaders won't dedicate time to Trudeau beyond quick poses for pictures and it shows as he's incapable of even lining up meetings with them now. This is harming Canada as we need international relationships to continue supplying our resources in what is a competitive global environment. Canada needs a leader with depth and gravitas in a world stage. Whenever Justin Trudeau, whenever is Trudeau's term as a prime minister comes to an end, Canada's going to have a mountain of damage to repair. I mean, the domestic economic mess created by Trudeau is going to take decades to undo. But the international damage he's done to Canada's reputation might take generations to get over. I'm sure you all remember once upon a time, people made a point of proudly displaying a Canadian flag on their backpacks or suitcases when traveling overseas. Now they're more likely to kind of keep subdued about where they come from, unless they find themselves having to answer embarrassing questions about how this nation allowed itself to be governed by a fool for so long. That's what's got me going today, guys. And I'm sure, you know, many people feel the same. Like, it, it, it's so important. It's one of the, the prime rule, you know, roles of being a leader. You might not be a great micromanager in policy. You might have some other shortcomings. You might not be great with managing your caucus, but you've got to represent the country overseas positively. He has never managed to do that. And in fact, he set us back. If he could part with Jolie long enough, maybe he should just keep sending her to go over there and deal with foreign affairs. I don't know how much longer he's going to hang in there. I really don't. But he doesn't seem to be uh, prime to give up yet. And this is a, a country that's getting crabbier and crabbier. I mean, the, the liberals are swirling the toilet in the polls. They are lowest they have ever been since becoming elected. He needs something big to turn things around. The cabinet shuffle didn't do it. Um, there's no policies looming that it look like they're going to change his fortunes right now. He's in London at a caucus retreat where even the state broadcaster has mentioned that caucus members are getting pretty nervous and they, they might or something. There's the difference between liberals and conservatives. They might start speaking up and asking Justin Trudeau uh, to try and account for himself or even perhaps step aside. Now, conservatives, we never hesitate 
in asking our leaders to step aside. In fact, we're often too eager to do so. I think maybe finding somewhere in the middle between that blind, lemming-like following that liberals seem to do with their leaders and the, the prickly, ready-to-throw-our-leaders-under-the-bus uh, attitude of conservatives and get uh, good government somewhere in the middle is, is the better way to go, I guess. I mean, people always say that, but there's some truth to it. Either way, we'll see. We'll see what comes out this weekend. Uh, you know, he came bearing gifts. He showed up in London, Ontario with uh, uh, an announcement of, of housing money for them, uh, 60, 70 million, something like that. But the bottom line was this was money that was actually already announced uh, long ago. He's just re-announcing it. So, I mean, he can't even come up with new things to try and turn his fortunes around. He just keeps rehashing old ones. And I tell you, we've got a scary economic outlook ahead of us. Uh, something I tweeted recently, if you, you know, one of the, my other playgrounds besides doing these shows is on Twitter, at Corey B. Morgan. Uh, it's one of the, my favorite places. Plus, you're going to find the shows there. We can't get on Facebook, things like that. But, uh, you know, it was something that's looming and we aren't hearing enough about. I've heard some business groups and others talking about it, but there's the, the CERBA loans. Those are the loans given to small businesses and they were very generous ones during the COVID lockdowns, right? Because I mean, the businesses were crippled there. They were terribly harmed. And these were loans that uh, had no interest for a good period of time. And actually a large portion of them was forgivable if they were paid within a certain period of time. And hundreds of thousands of businesses took advantage of those very generous loans. Uh, the problem is, uh, and I know that they've extended the terms on them once, uh, by the end of this year, by the end of December, those loans are either going to have to be paid out in full or the forgivable portion is going to be added to it and the interest is going to start to be charged. Now, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, this is a, a credit on the government books. It's not so easy just to say, well, let's just forgive the loans or extend the terms or carry on kicking the can down the road. I understand why they aren't eager to do that, but... We've got a lot of businesses that are hanging by a thread right now. And if they suddenly have that big debt on their books, they're suddenly paying the interest on it, you can bet a lot of them are going to say, you know what, that's it. We've been treading water for three years, four years, with all of the misery of the pandemic and, and other pressures and challenges. Uh, we're going to pull the plug. You know some of them are going to. That's all we need at Christmas time is yet another economic blow in, in a country that's, that's been blowing pretty hard for quite some time. Uh, those numbers coming out recently, I mean, our GDP per capita, we're embarrassingly lagging. We, we sit at, I believe, 52,000, and it's dropping, dropping. The United States, their GDP per capita, 71,000. Think about that, just south of the border. Now, I can go to Houston and buy a house for 300,000. That's really nice. Up here, you're lucky to get one for six, 700,000. Yet you are going at it with a dramatically reduced income compared to the states. Guys, we are in serious trouble in this country, and I don't think enough people realize it. So what's the government doing, though? What, what is our main leaders talking about? Well, we said, yeah, Tam, she showed her beatific face again on a news conference the other day uh, talking about, oh, the COVID numbers are coming up. They just won't let go on this thing. Oh, dear people, be afraid, be worried. And sure enough, she was masked right up, as were the others sitting up there. They were all spaced out from each other. It looked like a conference from two or three years ago. She was saying, yes, it's time to dust off the masks. She's hinting the mandates are going to come back. She's hinting the lockdowns are going to come back. We can't afford it. We haven't paid for the last mess. We're not even close. A lot of the elements of our economic disaster going on right now is because of the, the, the a whiplash effect of what we did to the economy in response to the COVID pandemic. Yet here we go. They're trotting out there. If even just these announcements, even if they don't impose more mandates and lockdowns and passports and all that kind of garbage, 
It, it, it chills the economy. It scares people. You're not going to invest. You're going to tighten up. We got people can't even get into houses right now. And what's Trudeau doing? You know, I mean, again, we keep talking about that. He got a memo himself. He knows that immigration is strongly pressuring the housing crisis right now. And it's not an anti-immigration thing. It's a pro-math thing when we're saying, hold on, guys, tap the brakes. Let's reevaluate. People can't get into homes right now. They can't afford to rent. They can't afford to get in. Your own secretary of the cabinet, Justin, told you immigration is exacerbating this and the numbers don't balance. We're building way, way less, fewer units than we will require to keep up with the immigration. Now we've got two options. We either have to build hundreds of thousands of more units a year somehow. How on earth do we do that? Where are we going to find the labor, the materials, the time, the capital? We can't do it that fast. We do still need to buy them, but we can't do it that fast. Something we can do fast, though, is reduce the demand. And that means we have to take a serious look at immigration and how we got to cut it, at least pause and reduce it. Not to zero, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. But we've got to also realize how ridiculous it is to maintain the current levels. So, uh, yeah, we've got a, a scary outlook coming up ahead of us. And, and, and a prime minister that just seems outright oblivious. I, I, I don't know what it's going to take for that guy to understand. I mean, I, I, it was a big discussion I did have on social media because I still think, and I'm throwing that prediction out there, hey, I could be wrong. Wouldn't be the first time, I, that, that's for sure. But I think Trudeau's gone by the end of the year. He just can't turn it around. He's floundering. He's stressed. He's got his family issues going on. He doesn't know how to turn this government around. And I'm sure the knives are coming out from underneath him saying, that's it. It's time to go. But it's clear he's not signaling himself, though. I don't think he realizes it yet. And uh, maybe he'll hang on, kicking and screaming even longer. Some people are saying, that's good. That's good. Because that's what's driving the liberal support into the, the toilet so that they can be replaced. Yeah, I know. But think of the damage he could do if you give that clown two more years, even with a, even if he's at 5% support, as long as he's still holding government backed by Singh, just think of how much worse it will be with two more years of that dingbat in there. I understand a new liberal leader might turn things around for that party somewhat, but we got to look at the sake of the nation too, rather than just the sake of uh, the CPC. If Polyev's going to win, he'll have to win on his own merit rather than just relying on Trudeau being a complete incompetent, which is a, a good thing to rely on to win power, but it, it, it's not a positive thing for the country. But we'll watch and see. It's, I, I got a feeling it's going to be a pretty chilly uh, 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 caucus conference going on out there in London right now. All right, so moving on here, we're going to talk about a part of our economic issues and economic problems, and that's with uh, uh, Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Because one of our bigger issues is corporate welfare money being flushed down the toilet. There's one that uh, recently came up that is just kind of gross to even think about. And it's not huge in the numbers, but it's still the principle of it really, really stinks. Uh, so maybe I'll get Franco to explain that. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about corporate welfare further after that. How are you doing, Franco? Hey, Corey. Great to be with you. I'm doing great. Oh, good. Good. So, you know, we'd heard about this before. Uh, th there seems to be a push to make us eat bugs. Uh, we're actually paying for this? Oh, we sure are. We sure are. Taste the crunch, everyone, because we're all paying for some cricket corporate welfare courtesy of the federal government. Now, you may have heard uh, not too long ago that there was this big processing plant in London subsidized to the tune of almost $9 million uh, for this like cricket processing plant. Well, now the company says that only 10% 
of uh, its crickets or, or its business is to use crickets for human food. However, we went through the government's own open data portal to look at some grants and contributions, and we found that the federal government has spent more than $420,000 subsidizing companies that directly turn crickets into human food. So we are subsidizing corporations, presumably for-profit corporations, to take crickets and to turn it into human human food for your uh, dining pleasure. Isn't that something? Well, and I know we're not a fan of, of corporate welfare in general, and I want to talk a little bit more about some of the bigger issues once we move along. But, you know, in any case, at least if they could point to some demand, if they could point to a reason, like I don't recall seeing people marching on the streets saying, please expand our cricket production. Please give me a bigger variety of bugs at the local supermarket. What is the motivation for the government to pump our tax monies into this? Yeah, no kidding, right? Okay, so the company that's received the most amount of subsidies since 2018, I believe they're pronounced NAC, N-A-A-K. Um, anyways, they're producing these cricket uh, energy bars for, for human consumption. They're producing steaks, sausages, falafels. Now, Corey, <laughs> I thought falafels are made with chickpeas. I guess they're making falafels with crick peas. <laughs> Another company, um, Prairie Cricket Farms. You know, I was just Googling through their About Me page. And let me tell you, you know, I haven't been the best boyfriend over the years, not the best partner. But this guy was talking about starting his company from his own basement, having his cricket farm initially from his own basement. And the first thing that came to mind is, oh, boy, I mean, this wife must be a saint. Could you imagine starting your own cricket farm in your own basement? But look, here's the thing, right? If you want to eat crickets, fill your boots. If you think that there's a market demand for cricket consumption, fill your boots. I don't think we should be subsidizing with taxpayers' money in the same way that we shouldn't be subsidizing McDonald's or Harvey's or Arby's or Pizza Pizza or Take Your Pick. Corey, you can tell I'm Laurentian now because I'm saying Pizza Pizza. Yeah, I know. It sounded foreign to me. Uh, and it's getting to you. I think you're due for a trip out west again. Well, I couldn't agree more. Well, let's get on to some of the, the bigger issues. I mean, the principles remain the same, even with small subsidies, uh, but all the way up to the big ones. We've got that monster, and I'm certain you saw at the Parliamentary Budget Office uh, estimates on the Volkswagen plants and uh, the apparent break-even date uh, estimate has extended a little bit from their original one. Four times longer than what the government was leading on. Four times, folks. So the federal government and the Ontario government, but it's mostly coming from the federal government, is subsidizing two multinational corporations, Volkswagen and Stellantis, to build some electric vehicle battery plants in southwestern Ontario. The total cost of all of the subsidies to these two multinational corporations, $28 billion. Now, when they were cutting the ribbons and holding the press conference to announce their Volkswagen corporate welfare, uh, you had politicians saying, oh, don't worry, folks, it'll all be paid back. Don't worry. Within five years, the government will recoup the money. Not so fast. Surprise, surprise. You've been sold a false bill of goods. The parliamentary budget officer's latest report from yesterday shows that the break even is 20 years from now. 20 years from now. And that's if it breaks even. I mean, come on. We, we, these things, that's, that's being generous with the estimates and thinking that demand is going to materialize for these batteries and, and a market and these companies are somehow going to do well out of it. I mean, they, they can't predict a couple of years ahead, uh, 20 years. That's a pretty big stretch. Okay, two things to that, right? Corey, I think you nailed it right there. If 
if is the big question here, look, this federal government has never paid its bills on time. Okay. So the government, even, even the got this federal government saying, don't worry, we'll get enough revenue back in 20 years. It's kind of like having that one uncle. We all have that one uncle at Christmas dinner, trying to sell you his newest business plan and saying, Hey, don't worry. You'll get your money back in 20 years. How about I just keep my own money? Thank you very much. But the second thing is break even in 20 years, break even in 20 years. So we're going to get back to zero, maybe in 20 years, you know, that doesn't sound like a good investment to me, but you know, I just thought of a third thing as well. And to the broader point here, right? I mean, 20 years, like, come on, I don't really buy it from this government. I think we're going to break even if we could even say that somewhere between 20 years from now and never. Yeah. I mean, again, it follows the same economic rule that you and I tend to follow. If there's demand for it, somebody's just going to build it on their own and they will profit and good for them carry on if it needs a subsidy this huge that yep. tells me there really is no demand for this product so I, I i can't see it turning around well remember they're using political incentives the political calculation they're not using market calculation it's not their own money they don't have skin in the game what these politicians are trying to do is get reelected. and now let me give you some proof points where are these ev battery manufacturing plants going to be Southwest Ontario, battleground ridings, okay? So they're taking political uh, incentives essentially to hand out almost $30 billion in corporate welfare. Now, another proof point here is, well, where are the opposition parties? Why aren't they speaking out? Where are the new Democrats, right? Where are the people saying, let's get the pitchforks and go after those greedy corporations? Well, now it's crickets when it comes to this corporate welfare. But not just the NDP, Corey. Where are the conservatives, right? Where are all the representatives out in Alberta speaking out against this, right? You can barely even twin a pipeline that's already in existence without the company leaving in Canada. But now the government is handing out corporate welfare to the tune of almost $30 billion to these companies. And the conservatives are essentially crickets on the sideline as well. Right. Where are the, where is the party that is supposed to be looking out for the taxpayer? At least like that's the perception that they like to lead on. So remember, folks, this is not about economic calculation. They're not thinking about the economic incentives. They're just trying to get reelected and they're trying to buy votes with your money. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That's what some people actually are debating online, comparing it with. Well, well, look, we bought you a pipeline out west. Look at the favors we did for the west. It's a pipeline nobody asked them to buy. Uh, they, they drove out the private investor that was going to do it in the first place. But it, it also illustrates with the Trans Mountain expansion, when a government plans on something costing this much, it yeah. always ends up costing that much. I mean, where's the Trans Mountain now? It started at $4.5 to purchase, and uh, they're getting up $30 billion, I think. Oh, it's, it's, it's astronomical, okay? And let's just talk about that, the East versus West, because I think this is a very important part of this discussion. What, they're just handing over buckets of cash to multinational corporations to set up shop in Southwestern Ontario. You know, we're hearing about all this other type of corporate welfare in Quebec as well. And, and what do Albertans get? What does the Prairie Provinces get? Well, you get a political system that chased away Kinder Morgan when it wanted to invest billions of its own dollars, twinning a pipeline that's already in existence. Well, you had the government reject the Northern Gateway Pipeline. You had the government move the regulatory goalposts on the Energy East Pipeline. Then you got a carbon tax. Then you got a second carbon tax. Then you got a no more pipelines law. Then you got a discriminatory tanker ban. And oh, by the way, what happens when President Biden pulls the rug out of Keystone XL? 
crickets from the federal government. Uh, it's, it's, it's bad news all, all around. It's unfortunate that the regional games happen like they do, and the conservatives tend to be silent about it. Uh, just kind of piggyback, and I know it's coming something unexpected, or, but it, it ties together. Uh, one of the things, you know, some people are saying, oh, who cares what India thinks? It doesn't matter if Trudeau has alienated him. Well, the one province that relies on India as a customer the most in all of Canada is actually Saskatchewan. And uh, when, when, when Justin Trudeau is, is crushing trade deals uh, that could have benefited Saskatchewan, again, we aren't hearing much. Uh, had it been a Quebec or an Ontario deal, I got a feeling we'd been hearing a heck of a lot more about it. Well, look, let me tie in the taxpayer angle here. What value are we getting from all these international trips that these bureaucrats and politicians are taking? Seriously, right? I mean, in the news, right? You have the governor general spending almost $3 million on travel in one year alone. And what value are we getting? Right. Well, what value are we getting for many of this? Right. The governor general and her entourage rack up almost $100,000 on fancy airplane food. Well, that's nice for them. We get the bill. Or the governor general spends $71,000 on ice limos during a four day trip to Iceland when the hotel was what, an eight minute walk away from the main conference center? Well, that's nice for them. What value are we getting? We just get the bill. Um, so that's another, I think, um, concerning point here as well with all these international travel. It's clear that they like staying in the fanciest hotels, taking the sweetest want, uh, rides and dining on the most fancy cuisine. But it almost seems these days that all taxpayers are getting out of it. It's just a big fat bill. Yeah, and it shows that disconnect. It, you know, it really does. I, I was recently reading an article raising some alarms showing Toronto restaurants, their sales are really dropping. People aren't going out to eat. I don't think you need to be a star economist to realize the reason is because people can't afford to. Going out is a luxury. It's expensive. You, 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 now you're at that point of going back to kind of how it used to be in the old days. You only go out for special occasions or something, if you can at all. Meanwhile, the governor general, $100,000 in airplane food. I, I mean, they, they have no clue what common Canadians are suffering while, while they live in the lap of luxury. They really don't. No, they really don't, folks. Believe me, when, when you hear about this bubble that is Ottawa, it, it really is a bubble. A, a, and the reason is, is because they're living high on the hog and you just are their favorite ATM. You're their favorite piggy bank. They give themselves pay raises every single year. Uh, we've talked about this many times on this show before, Corey, but they've essentially just continued the gravy train, continued the pay raises for themselves, continued the bonuses for the government employees. So they truly are financially divorced from the reality facing most of your audience, Corey. They truly are. And when you get people who are financially divorced from the realities facing their constituents, you get these this type of governance that totally doesn't actually take into account the real struggles that people are facing. So let's get back to how they pay for all their, their overseas junkets or subsidizing some businesses while draining others. The carbon tax, uh, that, that's still looming out there and, and, and still really pressuring Canadians today. Oh, it sure is. I mean, look, the carbon tax is costing the average family, the average family in Alberta, $710 this year, even after the rebates. But it gets worse because on July 1 of this year, the federal government brought in a second carbon tax. Okay. Now, Trudeau is going to keep cranking up these carbon taxes until 2030. By that time, the carbon taxes alone will cost 55 cents a liter of gas will cost the average family in Alberta more than $3,000 annually, even after rebates by 2030. So, you know, it's, it's almost like there's just no give here. People are struggling. Mortgage payments through the roof. The price of a hamburger, uh, price of a hamburger meat is like the price of a good steak used to be, it seems like, right? The ju a jug of milk, 
uh, a roast chicken. Everything's going through the roof. People are struggling. And, and meanwhile, the, the government is doing the one thing or is, is failing to do the one thing that it could actually control to make life more affordable. And that's end these carbon taxes, right? Because the carbon tax makes gasoline more expensive. It makes natural gas more expensive. It makes diesel more expensive. And it makes everything that relies on diesel and natural gas more expensive as well, which is almost everything. So as we, we kind of wrap up here, we, we know which taxes we'd like to see less of. Now, there, there's that uh, love affair with Keynesian economics where they feel, though, it would hurt the nation too much if we stopped spending public dollars and pumping them into the economy. I don't think we fully agree with that. So what areas, though, because the cuts have to come, where can we cut without causing too yeah. much damage? Oh, oh, I mean, here's the thing. Okay, a lot of... An hour on that, okay, let me just be very brief. I'll give overall and, and some brief things. So first of all, it's actually only a modest amount of spending restraint would balance the budget essentially tomorrow. All they would have to do is go back to the all-time high levels of spending before the pandemic in 2018, even adjust it upward for inflation and population growth, a balanced budget. And nobody was, claim was claiming that Trudeau was, was austerity in 2018, right? So it's actually very easy for any government who was even remotely caring about fiscal responsibility to balance the budget. Now, specifics, we talked about some, right? Uh, all the stuff at the top. But then you really have to look at the bureaucracy. 98,000 extra bureaucrats hired since Trudeau took power. $1.3 billion in bonuses since 2015. 800,000 pay raises for the government bureaucracy over the last three years. The corporate welfare is obviously a big one, right? $28 billion in total from the government of Ontario and the feds to Stellantis and Volkswagen. Uh, look, we don't need to be subsidizing other provinces forever through equalization. Uh, let's look at the official residences, the National Capital Commission. They're incompetent. They got to go. Here's, here's a good one. Why does the official opposition leader get a taxpayer-funded mansion? Why does someone who lose the election get a, get a taxpayer-funded mansion? Uh, that needs to be rethought of. Uh, the CBC, right? Over a billion dollars every single year. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And folks, if you are curious about this, we have uh, published a 75-page budget submission detailing all the different cuts that uh, this federal government could and should make. Excellent. I'm glad you segued that at the end because, yes, you guys do. Don't just point out the problems. You point out some solutions, and I appreciate that. So before I let you go, where can people uh, find that document and, and other things that you guys are up to? Well, everything's at taxpayer.com. Check out our newsroom, all the good articles there. Check out the petitions. Uh, yeah. And Corey, I just want to thank you so much for letting me come on your show today. Oh, always happy to have you, Franco. Even if most of the news is off and dire, at least you're exposing those things that are important. And I really appreciate the work you guys do. So I'll let you get back to digging through all those exciting documents. And uh, I, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Take care, Corey. All right. Thanks. So it was Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. As you heard, yeah, he always has uh, many answers and, and many things to point out. Well worth it. Check them out, guys. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Search them out. It's, it's a good group. That's why I have them on that often. And, uh, yeah, it, it gets tough. One of the things I like is, as Franco pointed out, is we can be pretty partisan. And I see a commenter, Shirley Gervais, saying, uh, it seems that the left wing, the right wing, they're all part of the same bird. You know, when we're talking about different parties, that is a frustration. We It doesn't matter what side you are on with a party. In fact, it's more important to hold your own party accountable than the other one. You expect the worst of the other guys. So don't let your guy get away with being silent on these things. You've got to call them out. You've got to call out your 
member of parliament, even if they're a conservative one or uh, MLA, if they're UCP or Saskatchewan party or whatever it is, you can't let them slide into the, the, the lazy world of, of just spending your way out of your problems. Cause they'll all try, they'll all try. And you have to hold them accountable yourself. It's hard. Uh, it's a uh, Mike at freedom, honey. Always love seeing you guys. Yeah. Save the bees. Don't eat the bugs. Yeah. I'm still keeping my bees. They're finishing their mite treatment. Uh, and I'm not asking for subsidies for it. I'll raise the bees on my own. Just leave me alone. As will Mike at freedom, honey. Check those guys out. Actually. They, they do good work for veterans and things like that with beekeeping. Uh, but yeah, this, these subsidy wars, this constant uh, taking of money from one place and sticking it in another. Look, guys, if you leave the market free, I know it sounds like I'm the ideologue, but there's truth to it. It will migrate. The capital will migrate. The labor will migrate. They'll go to where they're needed. We will be more functional and healthy for it. One of the things Franco hit quickly, you know, on was equalization. You see, equalization, again, you know, it's supposed to be this thing of balancing the country so everybody has equal services. I mean, we know it's a load of baloney. It's, it, it's regionally loaded. It always benefits Quebec, no matter what, because they just keep giving them exemptions from the equalization formula. But the Conservatives won't speak up on that very loudly because they want to keep everybody happy across the country. But how well has it been working? I mean, many of the provinces, if it's going to be a hand up, well, they've been collecting for 50 years. They still aren't up yet how long do you keep tossing money to the kid in the basement before you say that's enough you got to get a job but you see it, it it creates that imbalance it actually hindered people from migrating to the money when you take the money and move it to the people which is an inefficient way to do it i mean we saw a lot of that when they were giving in the 90s preferential uh, ei rates all sorts of things like that to people in the maritimes whilst basically just gouging the hell out of Alberta while our economy was going strong. And listen, there were some fantastic Maritimers came out West and people from all over the country came out West and worked in the energy sector. I worked with them all the time out there, but there was a whole hell of a lot more who sat around on their asses with a growing sense of entitlement saying, well, I don't care if our local economy's crap. The country owes it to me to be able to make my bills and stay here. No, it doesn't actually. It really doesn't. You know, I, I get a bit of that when I see people talking about the, the prices of things up in the Arctic. I did four winters in the Arctic. This is part of why I'd rather be here doing alternative media than being in the oil field anymore. It was terrible. It was cold as hell up there. Very lucrative. But I mean, in, in the North Mart and Inuvik or, or some of those towns, you know, you got Tuktoyak, Tuk. Yeah, things are really, really expensive up there. What do you expect? You know, the, the, the access is limited to get up there. You can bring dry goods by barge in summertime and uh, the Dempster Highway is very narrow in winter. And then of course the ones where you got to fly in or only have winter access are even worse. But you know what? It's a choice to live up there. It's a choice. And you choose to live up there. You're going to choose to pay more for your goods and services. That's the way it goes. As long as we keep pumping welfare in to keep unsustainable populations sitting around up there, well, who are we doing a favor to? What are we doing? What are we doing? If they can't afford to sustain themselves, there's no industries, there's nothing going on. This is one of those things that gets me with people who support the reserve system. Because when you get the smaller communities in the Arctic, it tends to be Inuit folks and, and others on isolated reserves up there. Okay, what's the end game? What's the long game for those little communities when they have really no resources assigned for, from some sustenance, you know, hunting and trapping? Trapping's long gone. They'll hunt some caribou to eat and buy good, good on them by all means. But we, otherwise, we're pumping up the main employer is government. In other words, it's work for welfare, and the rest just get direct welfare. What do you see a generation from now? What do you see 60 years, 100 years from now in those communities? What's the point? Is it a little zoo? 
I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Is it where urban people could feel good themselves? Look at these these fine Inuit people we've we've kept up there as a little population that are holding tightly to their cultural norms, and it's important to us. As if you're preserving an animal population in an isolated area. It's kind of how it feels, isn't it? It's wrong, guys. I'm not saying kick everybody out of there either, but we've got to start getting realistic about how and why and how long we're sustaining some populations in areas that don't have the ability to sustain them. Not doing them any favors. It's not doing us any favors. And maybe if we're not talking about moving the population out, then let's look at some of the resources we can exploit to make it sustainable for them to be there. Are there oil and gas deposits? Are there mining uh, things that they can do? But instead, we're shutting down economic, economic activity and keeping these populations sitting up there where they can't travel outward. They still live modern lives, guys. They're not living in the nice romanticized, uh, you know, at, at one with earth, uh, uh, you know, nature loving up there and building igloos or any of that crap. They live in houses with satellite dishes. Now they got Starlink internet. They got cell phones. They're like anybody else, except they don't have a local means of generating income. Uh, so you get this hybrid of a culture, actually. It's kind of got one foot in the old ways and one foot in the modern ways and dysfunctional in almost all ways. And I'm not saying it to be insulting. Look up the stats. Health-wise, life expectancy-wise, education-wise, crime-wise, those isolated reserves are living in misery. And they can't escape them. They're locked into these spots. By the way, kind of a side rant. But, I mean, we need a hard, unvarnished look at economic policies when we're going to bring them about. Don't talk about what you wish you want to see. Let's talk about what we can do. What's going to make things better? What's going to pay off? So pumping subsidies into electric batteries when nobody wants the friggin' things doesn't change the reality that nobody wants the friggin' things. What a boondoggle this is going to be. What a mess. $20 billion for something nobody wants yet. They're not going to want them later. And then private companies, if they are relying on subsidies on tax dollars, then they aren't going to be efficient. They aren't going to compete. They aren't going to make a better product. If you have a competitive market, maybe some creative company, inventor, some person is going to come up with a fantastic cost-effective battery and it will shift things to an electric world. But right now, just pumping more money into technology that isn't ready to serve us yet is stupid. But when we look at who we keep reelecting as a prime minister, we shouldn't be so surprised that some things are stupid. Speaking of stupid, uh, people, most of you have probably seen it. The Peel School District Board, those guys are nuts. They truly are. They're absolutely nuts. I mean, it's just one thing after another with their critical race theory crap and all of their other junk. It's out in Ontario. But this latest one that's come out, even the CBC, the state broadcaster, reported on it. They're yanking all of the books out of the school libraries that are older than 2008. Yeah. Like there's huge gaps left in the library shelves. And some of the books they, they pulled because they said they weren't diversive or inclusive enough. Uh, Anne Frank's diary has been pulled. Yeah, apparently that, that's politically incorrect. I don't know how, I don't know where the logic comes from, but like I said, these people are crazy. They are so. I mean, you look at that Neely one, she's from a different school board in Ontario as well, and she's certifiable. I mean, you look at the eyes on that woman and some of the stunts she pulls and the things she says, yet she's there and she's controlling what gets to your children. So this is getting really scary though. This is really scary. They don't feel that anything written prior to 2008 is appropriate to put in front of children. Do you know what kind of frightening, chilling, historic revisionism and control of the minds of children we're talking about here? 
like if you can't give some degree of classical history to these children, how are they going to think? But that's the goal. They don't want these kids critically thinking. They don't want common sense. They want to fill their heads with that woke crap that they've been filling them with for years. If they read actual history, if they read critical thought, if they read philosophy, if they read records of things that have happened and succeeded and or failed before them, they probably would drift away from that crazy woke junk. So the school board is trying to pull the books and access away from these children. Everything beyond 2008, it's insane. It's insane. Even the CBC is calling it out. But will it stop anything? You know, will it uh, change these guys? This is what we got to get back to. This is the part nobody likes hearing, but this is the truth. It's on you. It's on me. Who here can name their local school board trustee? How many people voted for their trustee in the last election? You know, how many people are paying attention to how these whack jobs are getting in there? They're elected to these roles. That means you do have the power to fire, but you got to get off your ass and do it. You got to find somebody sane who wants the job. That's a big ask because it's a thankless, miserable job. And you have to support them and you've got to get them in. The crazy wackadoodle left has realized that it's these small elected positions where they can really do the maximum, well, I would call it damage, they say the maximum social engineering to make it such a better fluffy world. And they're winning. They're winning. We let them win. I mean, if we don't get out there and fire them, whose fault is it? So pay attention. Learn from these clowns. Not learn to emulate their ideology, but learn how they've come up with the simple solution of taking advantage of the democratic tools that are right in front of them and using them. Have a look at your school board elections, guys. Nag your neighbors, nag your kids, get out and vote and uh, get these crazy people out of those roles. And that can move up as well to the next level because it seems the lower the level, well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say the lower the level of government, the crazier the person. But of course, our top level with the prime minister, he's not exactly that close to seeing. If you see some of those pictures of him riding like a weirdo on a, a golf cart over in India, man, that's a strange, strange man. But for the most part, we don't give enough scrutiny to our lower levels of government. That's a better way to put it. You know, think of some of the, the nutty civic politicians we have in office. Every city's got them, guys. Uh, you know, we, we had that uh, guy, oh, I'm forgetting his name. He was a crazy hippie up in Edmonton. He wanted to flood the streets, took her Gomberg, and uh, he, to make people skate to work to save the environment. He wasn't kidding. Uh, sadly, he, he passed. He, he was actually had some serious mental health issues. He jumped off the Confederation Bridge. But he, he was unhinged. Uh, Dar Hetherington, if we're looking at Alberta things, if you might remember in Lethbridge, this woman took off and, and made international headlines with a crazy story she did down in the States claiming to be kidnapped and a whole bunch of things. Nutty. But who put her in there? Well, we did. We've got to actually fire these people, and we haven't been doing it. We haven't been doing it. Ah. Likewise, you know, uh, yeah, so the Trans Mountain, I see that I've got that popped up for a bit of a story. It's on the Western Standard. It's that reminder for everybody to... Get on there, guys. This is how we stay independent. This is why we talk about this stuff. This is why I can rant about these things. It's because you guys have subscribed. Get out there. $10 a month, $100 for a year, and you don't have to listen to the CBC. You can get past the paywall. Dave is out there. Jonathan's out there. Uh, all those folks. We got, you know, Nigel, a great pile of folks putting out great stories, columns, all of that. The reason we can do it is because you subscribe. So please get on there, westernstandard.news slash membership. And if you've already subscribed, thanks. So let's get back to that. Apparently, the latest delay with the Trans Mountain Pipeline, the Trans Mountain Catastrophe. I mean, this wasn't even a new pipeline to go in. 
This is one just going right next to one that's existed since the 50s. We just had to put one right next to it. Can't do it. It's way, way years and years behind schedule. You know, meanwhile, we, we, we lose a premium on the oil that we sell. And it's just been one thing after another. There was a hummingbird nest of not an endangered one or anything like that, but a hummingbird nest. That was a couple of years ago. And it cost millions and millions of dollars because they delayed everything over these hummingbird nests out there. It's stupid. Again, getting back to the stupid part. Well, the latest now is apparently there's a sacred tree near Kamloops. Sacred tree. And it's going to cost almost $100 million. It's going to just delay construction by another year. We might not actually see oil in that thing until 2025, late 2025. This is crazy. It's a tree. Come on. There's always somebody going to say it's sacred. Always. Cut it down. Give them a new one. Give them 10 new trees. How many trees can you get for $100 million? Just spend a million dollars. Give them a million dollars worth of trees. This is dumb. Sacred tree. We got a degree of respect for the people who live along the right of ways of these pipelines, but let's face it, some of these guys are feeding us a load of crap when they throw every roadblock they can in front of the progress and make their excuses. Sacred tree. It's a tree. That's it. But we're allowing it to cost us $100 billion. I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this stuff, guys. Uh, Side note, I'll finish on one thing where some people will uh, maybe disagree with me, but that's fine. People do all the time. I see that settlement with Stephen Gilbo and uh, Ezra Levant and Rebel took him to court over uh, him blocking them on Twitter. And uh, they won. He got a $20,000 settlement and, and basically Gilbo has to allow uh, Ezra to see him on Twitter. You know what? I don't agree. I don't agree. I don't like Gilbo. I think, uh, I think Ezra and Rebel does some great stuff. I just don't think they should be legally obligated to allow anybody and everybody to look at their Twitter account. You can open a side Twitter account if you've been blocked and just watch and you know see what they're putting out. They're not hiding anything that much from you. A Twitter is not owned by the government, nor should it be. So I, I don't know. It was just an odd settlement. I mean, I do like seeing Gilbo slapped down. There's certainly no doubt about that. I just don't think this was a move in the right direction. I, it was just a weird ruling. But whatever, we'll see. It's not the worst thing we've seen coming out of our courts. And of course, by the way, one last thing, Olivia, of course, the court case is going on for the, the convoy organizers, Tamara Leash and uh, Chris Barber. So uh, watch for the news coming out on that on the Western Standard, guys. That's all the time I've got for today. Tune into the pipeline. We're going to be recording that a little later, too. It'll be airing tonight. And uh, we'll be covering a bunch more subjects with some other folks on a panel. So thank you all for tuning in today, guys. And I'll see you all again at this time next week. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley is holding at 340. Feed wheat is unchanged at 358, while corn slipped $3 to 355. In the milling wheat markets, December Minneapolis futures inched up two and a half cents at 781 per bushel, with local hard red spring bid for September movement at 925 per bushel delivered. Over to the oil seeds, nearby canola futures are off $1.90 at $750.40 per ton, with delivered values for September movement at $16.67 per bushel. And in the pulse markets, red lentils are trading at $0.35 cents a pound. Yellow peas remain at $11 per bushel. Looking at the cattle markets, October live cattle dropped $0.77.5 cents at $183.37 per hundredweight. For more information on picked up and on-farm options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Vera Buziak at Marketplace Commodities. 
accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. We've become a member. It's absolutely worth every penny.